0: That's all we have.
1: Good evening, supervisors. Good evening, school board members. Good evening, staff. Good evening, Loudon. I'd like to call the order to call to order the school board capital improvement plan presentation to the board of supervisors for December six, two thousand seventeen. Would everybody please join me in the pledge of allegiance? I pledge
2: allegiance to the flag of the United States, States of America.
1: just for the purpose of the fact that we're, we, we we don't see one of as much as I wish we, we could, I am going to go around the table and have all the elected officials um, introduce themselves and say the district you're from, and then we will ha- we we will pass the meeting over to the school administration staff to do the presentation, and we will start with Miss um, Sheridan. Good
3: evening, Brenda Sheridan, Sterling District.
4: Karan Singh, Sterling District.
5: Gary Higgins, Catoctin District.
1: And, Gary, Mr. DeConnip is here in the building somewhere. He was just here.
5: He, he, he,
2: had, he said he had to go. We we'll had
1: to go. leave. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
2: Eric Hornberger, uh, Ashburn District. Okay.
6: okay. <laughs> Ralph Bona, Vice Chair in Ashburn District.
1: let the over here.
7: Mm-hmm. Suzanne Volpe, Algonquian District. Oh. There you go.
6: Okay.
8: Debbie Rose, Algonquian District. Beth Huck, at large, school board member.
3: Kristen Umstadt, Leesburg District.
5: I'm Tom Marshall. I represent the historic downtown Leesburg, Virginia. <laughs> and we welcome you there anytime.
1: Joy Maloney, Broad Run District. So that's, that's fun for me for two reasons. One, because no one can work the microphones in this room, so just to watch that happens. And two, the, if you notice, in, in the past, it was supervisors on one side and school board on the other, but the mental health therapist in me has you sit by your counterpart because it's just a healthier way to sit. So um, thank you for that. And we, are, we will turn it over to the, um, to the school administration now for the presentation. Thank you so much. Or, I'm sorry. That's okay. Mr. Thank Morris. you, Chair Randall. Okay. I appreciate I it. I appreciate the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I am Jeff Morris.
0: I do belong to the club. I represent the Dulles District. You're going to tell and, me uh, to answer your phone? I'm very oh, pleased no, to be hi. here. And yeah, I, did, I,
1: answer your phone?
0: I did want to let you know that it is, it's is—it's snowing lightly outside, but don't be concerned. Is so, it really? No, I'm kidding. But I <laughs> thought I'd lighten it up. But uh, I'm going to, well. We've got the man at the table who will make we'll that call, but them. we'll go ahead and turn it over to uh, Mr. Lewis, Assistant Superintendent for Support Services, for tonight's presentation.
9: Good evening, good evening, everyone. I'll start tonight by going over a little bit of housekeeping. Each of you have a folder at your your table, um, and in that folder is the, the agenda and uh, copies of the slides, and there's also a three-page handout with all the project lists on there, and I'll share with you that that same handout is located on page 55 of the of your CIP's bound spiral notebook for the CIP. Uh, hopefully you'll notice that there's been a, a number of changes in that document this year. It, it stretches out to 30 years. We have every single project in our inventory planned for its renovation and renewal, and we've also taken all the project pages and revamped them and redesigned them to match the county CIP. So it's a, a little more consistent with reading across the page. So uh, i be happy to take questions about that as we go through. So um, I will start with this slide is um, a general depiction of some of our Projections that you'll see that are also contained in some of the individual pages You'll see that the bottom two lines are actual numbers FY 17 and 18 and then all the ones above it 19 through 24 are our uh, Projections for the next six years and you'll see that we are anticipating topping out in 2024 at 90,768 students Uh, that graph is still growing, but you'll see that the rate of growth is slowing down a little bit, but uh, obviously continues to grow As we move forward some of the changes I wanted to uh, uh, touch on briefly a little bit is this year we have uh, included a full gamut of renovations for our entire inventory of all the schools owned and operated by the school system we've also incorporated in years past the capital asset preservation plan was a separate document we have now incorporated incorporated that into the same document and uh, we'll talk about that briefly tonight as well I um, mentioned a minute ago about the 30-year time frame. Uh, we've grouped the 2019 through 24 in our, in our standard six-year program that we've always used in the past, and then um, we also have intermediate projects in 25 through 28, which is the 10-year program, which mirrors the county's capital needs assessment document. So we've got a six-year program and then a 10-year, and then we have all the long-term programs all the way out through 2048. Our main goal in doing that was to try to find a tool that would help everyone uh, from a financial and expansion progr- uh, perspective to plan over time and, and have everyone be, you know, county and schools, be a little more uh, aware of what's coming down the pipeline based on our growth. So this slide, slide number four, is a summary of uh, the, the first six years, 2019 through 24, and you'll, you'll see – That we've uh, the first column is years one through six and we have different categories on the left elementary school new elementary school renovations same with middle and high as you go down through and then we have other projects renovation and replacements the bottom line is the cap and uh, so we've divided that up in years one through six to give you some kind of a a, a summary of what typically the numbers you've seen in the past and then seven through ten and then the columns on the right we just essentially went decade by decade uh, just different ways to slice the same information uh, for ways that might be helpful and useful for you. So this slide, um, digging down into the weeds a little bit, what we've done is is wanted to make sure we called attention to everyone projects that have been accelerated uh, in this year's CIP from other years. And you'll see the first two are elementary school uh, 23 and 29 in the Dulles North and Dulles South areas. We've been talking a great deal about how much it's growing down there. The growth continues to go. Uh, ES-23 has been accelerated by one year, um, and ES-29 has been accelerated by two years. And the the the, the basis behind that for, for 23, um, when – In in the year 2021, we're going to be approximately 785 students short if that school doesn't open. So uh, generally, the capacity is 935 students. So if that school is on a critical path, you all know that that's the Arcola Center School. And so we're showing here that that is a desperate need, as is uh, ES-29 uh, in 2021. When it's planned to be open, if it does not, we'll be 320 students short. Uh, moving on to the Dominion Trail Elementary Classroom, as you know, we've had, um, we're currently putting three classroom additions on six schools, and we had two groups of that. Uh, and we've accelerated Stuart Weller Elementary last year, and then this year now we're accelerating Dominion Trail Classroom, and that's to help us um, mitigate the, the growth and to incorporate full day kindergarten. The school security vestibules has been uh, accelerated from 2020 to 23 Uh, and we've done that in a a manner to couple that with a previously funded project in 2019 that was for our division security improvements and you can find those on page 71 and page 64 respectively in your CIP and those will help us essentially that takes us in uh, from uh, keys we're trying to eliminate all of our exterior door keys and have everyone access our buildings like this so we know who's in our building when they're in the building and then we're also going to create some security vestibules, so when you walk into a building now, you instead of having to walk down the hallway to the office, you'll have a, a systematic way of checking in at the office, using our new visitor management system and making sure that we know who's in our building and when. So those are important um, projects that we're, we're happy to bring forward. We've also accelerated the Student Welcome and Adult Education Center. It's a, it's a growing need. We've moved that from 2021 to 2000, um, 2023 to 21. Uh, that also will, will house an adult education program as well as our as our EL Welcome Center. Moving to middle school number 14. Um, the first line there you see is land only. In our CIP, we have um, in this green sheet um, somewhere on there, sorry, line page 75 you'll see that we have the Land Acquisition Fund for future land acquisitions, and those numbers um, include two middle schools and one high school. That's land for, for projects slated for the first um, 10 years. And then we have middle school 14 that's been moved from 2023, to two, or 27 to 23, uh, and that's uh, to manage a, a significant amount of growth in there as well, and I think the number for that in the six-year outlook Will be as much as 605 seats short, um, even two years before this is slated to open. So where it is now, it's slated to open in 2025, and it'll be you know will be 605 seats short two years before that. So that school's showing a growing need. And just a heads up, we may be looking at that next year to move again, but that's something else that's moved into that window. Uh, Elementary School 34 has also moved forward. It was not in the first six-year window, and it's now in 2023. And HS 14 is also in 2023. Um, Those schools are both in Dulles North, which, again, as we all know, is growing pretty fast. So, the next slide, we wanted to make sure that we called attention also, those were the, we just went through the schools that are the projects were accelerated. These are new projects that are showing up in the first six years. I think there's been a good bit of discussion about a, a very uh, important collaborative effort between the county staff and the school staff to build a broadband infrastructure which essentially will connect 100 of our schools by our school-owned uh, fiber network uh, infrastructure going between each of our schools. That will be a direct connect for each of our 100, uh, for our 100 sites. Uh, this is a total of a five-year pro- project, $5 million project over three years one point seven five million in the first year, and one point five in the in uh, the second two years. Um, this year, we've act, we've also included uh, school bus acquisition and replacements. That's been a discussion by both boards for a number of years, and so those have been included in the in the CIP about seven million dollars a year. Uh, and you see the total there is for that total six-year period. The school bus radio replacements is is in placed in FY 2023 and that is also another collaborative effort that the school system and the county staff are working on to develop a a system that will provide radio service not only for our buses but also for fire and rescue and uh, all the law enforcement folks that we can share those networks and so that the number that's shown there is is, uh, for lack of a better term a placeholder for the equipment that will be needed for the school system, and then we 'll be having more discussions on what infrastructure needs will be and how that'll be uh, designed and, and divvied up over time. Uh, the next project is uh, again I mentioned earlier the the middle school number nineteen land uh, in fy twenty twenty four and then uh, we have a couple projects there that that are maybe new i 'll t- try to do my best to explain those. Arcola Inter- uh, Elementary School is at the intersection of North Star and Tall Cedars, and one of those roads wasn't there when we built the school, so now that the roads are in place, we want to connect that and try to help. We-, we have a pretty significant traffic issue at that site with one entrance, so this project is designed to put an ex- in- uh, another entrance out onto the other street. The Tolbert Elementary School Keynote um, Drive Project is a project that was a part of a proffer that was when we built Tobert Elementary School, the town had a plan to build an, inter, an interchange there, and then we were proffered to, to build that with the school system. Of course, that was several years ago, and the money was returned uh, to the county. Any, any that may have been surplus at the time. The town now is moving forward with that project and are asking us to uh, contribute to that proffer, so that's what that request is for. I will tell you that's, that project is not quite defined yet, so that's also a placeholder of the value for that. Uh, it is in 2024, so as that becomes more defined, then we can try to better define that for the county. Heritage High School Turn Lane is also another project. When Heritage High School was built, Battlefield Parkway did not exist. Uh, Heritage is also another school that's limited by access, and this this entrance will allow an entrance or exit out onto Battlefield Parkway to better plan for that. And then we've also, um, a, prop or a warrant has been triggered for a signal at the Valley Service Center, which is uh, where we have our Western Loudoun Bus Center uh, that is now owned by the school system. <clears throat> so we d- developed this slide to try to illustrate our efforts to a better plan for future development. So what you'll see is uh, the blue line at the bottom Represents um, developments that are coming on through what we the best information we have right now for what's happening with the Silver Line development. And you can see as the, the, the zoning is approved, the, the CPAMs approved, as, they, as that project moves along, we're anticipating that in 2024, approximately 200 elementary school students may be generated by that with the information we know right now. Uh, 2027, there's gonna be another 400 students, 2035, another 600. So what we've done is gone into our long range plan and and placed schools in there to try to make sure that we're accommodating that to better plan uh, both financially and for construction and and planning and land acquisition. You see on the top line in the orange, you'll see ES31 and HS11 both open in that um, 2019 range. Then ES23 that I talked about a minute ago opens in 2021. And then MS14 that we we talked about earlier that we've moved forward as well And then ES-34 is another school that is is, um, uh, designated as Dulles North, and we know we have some irons in the fire right now to come up with another site for that Dulles North area. And then you'll see middle school 19 opens, which is also designated for Dulles North then ES36 and HS14 are actually undesignated this time, but we're putting them there based on our trend lines and our projections, our overall understanding of what may happen as build-out happens in the county. Try to make sure that we have schools in the pipeline, both from a planning perspective and a financial planning perspective, to uh, give a heads up that those schools are coming down the line. So this slide is... um, just an, another chop at the data you'll see that these are new schools that are planned in the first 10 years uh, again ES 23 and 29 you'll see those the uh, second column is the planning district so you see a lot of the lot of Dulles showing up Dulles north Dulles south ES 24 in Tuscarora crossing and central Loudoun uh, that has actually been moved out in the CIP this year so we've we've delayed that a couple of years um, based on what we know for the projections coming on board so those are an example of one that we've moved out some of the others we're moving in and you'll see there also dulles or middle school 19 and elementary school 36 as i mentioned a minute ago are undesignated at this point uh, designed to accommodate acceleration and they've been accelerated and designed to accommodate the growth that we're anticipating then we took another uh, crack of the data and have just showed you new schools that are planned in years 11 through 30. Again, trying to look out as far as we can and see what's coming up. Those schools are in the CIP in the years you see there uh, based on the growth models and are undesignated this time. So they're in there for planning purposes, and we can move them, either move them up or move them out or switch them for different designated areas. But from a financial planning standpoint, we're trying to give the county as much information as we can to prepare their debt planning. <clears throat> so we've had a lot of talk about the silver line coming and the, the different changes in the metro. So knowing and, and our folks have had many, many conversations with the county planning staff, and knowing that there's going to be more and more pressure on building schools that take up a smaller footprint. So we commissioned an architect um, and also that the actual work you see here in front of us is is actually work by our staff architect try to find a way to minimize the impact of a particular school on the on a footprint. And you'll see here that um, this is just a concept, and it hasn't been uh, developed any more than that. Um, but the school is designed to, to accommodate between three and 400 students per floor, and then that can be modularized in different le- numbers of floors to accommodate up f- between 350 to 1,000 students. Uh, you note there, too, it also... Is uh, designed to accommodate 46% of the original of our current prototypes footprint this is just a simple concept drawing of the first floor where you see a lot of the core spaces the gymnasium cafeteria kitchen administration media center those things would all be located on the first floor and then the classrooms as you see in this slide then become more of a modular effect. So depending on how many students you want, if the school was to house 350, we could get all those grades K through 5 on this floor. If you wanted to double that, then you could put K through 2 on one floor, 3 through 5 on another floor. And so we're, we're pretty pleased that this, this design has been uh, very well thought through and from a concept standpoint and can be, a, can be adjusted as we learn what the uh, constraints of the site may be. And speaking of the site, we took the components of our typical school and have plugged them in and looked at it. And, you know, we've had many conversations over the years about how many acres we need to build a school. So we took um, all the components, put them onto this site. Now, I need to point out that that is a perfectly square site that is perfectly level, and there's not too many of those that we'll find. But so we just did our best-case scenario, and, and, you know, are showing here that that site – would be required to it would take up about 11 and a half acres so the next slide shows we know that there's a possibility that an uh, an application could be submitted for a development that may provide some of the features that we need for the school system and then we would not need space for that so you see here we we've looked at the parking lot if we're next door to a development that's going to build a parking garage and we don't need space for all of our 100 uh, student staff and, and Um, It's about 100 120 folks that are working in elementary school depending on the size. We also recognize the fact we may have a a collaborative effort between our our, uh, program and Parks and Rec. So we could, if we're co-located with a park, then we could take off that component. So we tried to modularize that as much as possible. You'll see a bus loop there. Uh, Knowing that there may be situations where we would have a more walkable area in a more urban setting. Um, but also recognize the fact that no matter how we chop it, we always have somewhere between 1 and 400 parents dropping their kids off every day that we'll have to find some way to accommodate that. That, that is. That is a very big range. So that's one of the challenges we all always have to think about. And uh, as you know, when we design, design uh, site plans and we had a little bit of that discussion last night of trying to get a ways to get get that stacking line off of the main road so it's not backing up on traffic. So you know, these are things that we could modularize, but we have to make sure that we keep operations in mind as well. So one of the things we wanted to point out as we move forward, generally speaking, we've, we use a 4.5% inflation rate for most of our projects. As I mentioned earlier, we've extended our window of our CIP from not only just the first six years, but all the way out to 30 years recognizing the fact we've done a good bit of analysis on the trending and how much uh, construction costs. I have a slide I'll show you in a minute where the trend line is pretty straight. So in working through that, we've decided that um, as time goes out, our our estimating obviously gets less accurate as you go out farther and farther. So in the first six years, we've kept our inflation rate in the CIP at 4.5%. We've reduced that to 2.5% from year 7 to 10 and then flatlined it at zero for the 11 through 30 because we know that the ebbs and flows of the construction industry will go up and down and generally fall along that trend line um, as we go forward. So we, we feel comfortable that as those projects chunk forward to the first six years, we'll have time to adjust the estimates and <clears throat> the inflation ways it goes as well. This is the slide I was talking about. Elementary schools are yellow, high schools are blue, and middle schools are red. And you can see that's our historical cost over time and cost per square foot just for the building. And excuse me, it's a pretty straight line overall. And um, so that's the trend line I was talking about that we we zeroed in on earlier when we talked about flatlining our inflation rate to zero. And then what's interesting, when you go to the next slide, you see that the dots are our actual bids. Um, the box in the lower right-hand corner shows you that right now, the most recent bids we have, elementary schools are 17, almost 18% above our trend line. Middle schools are 12 13% above, and high schools are 10% above. And what that's telling us is we're in the middle of one of those uh, spikes in our construction costs. I think the county's seeing that as well. And we know that prices are going up and down. Um, so we're accommodating for that in our current estimates and keeping track of that. Um, but we do believe as time goes out years um, seven through 30 that those, those bids will come back in and help us form that trend line and be more accurate. So one of the most significant things we've done over the last year is um, pulled all together our construction people and our facility service people and our planning folks, and wanted to make sure that we developed a plan that would have a a, a, a reliable, uh, certain plan to manage the inventory of projects. Over the last several years, thirty years or so, uh, the citizens of Loudon County made a tremendous a tremendous investment in the inventory of our school system. Um, a lot of that growth started about 20 to 25 years ago. Those schools are coming to the age where they're going to be needing to have full-blown renovations to maintain their efficiencies, and the systems start to age out and, and end their their life. They're going to have to be uh, repaired and, and maintained. So, the last two years, in 15 and 16, we we, we hired a, a consultant to do what we call a facility condition assessment. That facility condition assessment went through every space in the building and looked at the condition of that, but also what what, um, i won't say features, I can't think of a better term, that each school had. An example would be some of our smaller schools only have a multi-purpose room and don't have a separate cafeteria and um, auditorium or gymnasium. So the way that system was set up in that standard Set, there was a point system, and, and so a school that did not have two separate rooms scored poorly or lower on that, on that facility condition assessment than what the condition of the building actually showed. So we knew we had really good information to help us know what components of the building needed attention sooner, but what it missed was which ones are we at most risk of failure. We wanted to make sure that we were managing our facility to take care of the facilities that would have – a, a more of a lasting impact if we had something go wrong. So this year we got together and, and performed what we call an, a continuity of operations plan, a COOP. And so we looked at all the systems that would cause a major or catastrophic failure of a building that if we had something happen that we have a building or a whole building full of students that be replaced or displaced, and we need to to um, bring that back online so we can have a place to educate them. So. What we did in that COOP analysis is we had schools identified as level one through level four in terms of their emergency. So a level one emergency you see at the bottom of the slide there would be a major emergency that impacts a portion of the facility for weeks or months. So we can't use that building for weeks or months. That's a, that's a very big problem. Level two is a little less impact several days to several weeks. Level three goes for several days and then level four is several hours to a day. Sorry, I'm about to lose my voice. <clears throat> so we then took those schools and categorized those as low, medium, or high impact. So the high impact ones would be those that were at risk to fail at a level one catastrophic failure. And a, an example would be our buildings are, are very efficient with our chilled water, boiler systems. It's a four pipe system goes through the building and supplies each of our HVAC units in the classrooms. If we have one of those units fail, we can replace those fairly quickly You have a room or two that's out of service. If that piping system fails that serves that, that whole building's down and we can't get it back up online. What we find is as those piping systems age, we spring a leak and some, you go in and tinker with it, you cause another leak and it just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going and then the whole building's down. Um, so what we did then is use that information and took those ones and you can see on this sheet here the first four schools are categorized in our continuity of operations <laughs> as high-level risk to the right of that column is the facility condition facility condition assessment score so any all the schools that scored at high risk were then placed in order of importance based on their facility condition assessment so we're using the information from both to create our priority order <coughs> for how these schools are placed in this long-term 30-year plan to do all the renovations. There's always room for questions and comments, but I can tell you that we've met weekly with a a group of people that are are very skilled and talented um, to manage these buildings and to assess these buildings, and we're very comfortable that this, this plan outlines the safest plan to make sure that the school system can maintain without having a catastrophic failure. So, as you see the, the list on these green sheets and all the schools that show up over the thirty years, they are placed in this document <clears throat> based on this ranking. So, this slide <clears throat> is a, essentially a compilation of all of the above. Um, you know, I'm going to go to the slide right. Let me do this slide first, and I'll come back to that one. This slide is a summary page of the capital asset preservation plan, and you see over time the different components on the left, and then the yearly totals, uh, FY19 through 24. Capital asset preservation plan is used to get our buildings from one renovation to the next. So there are many things in that. There are asphalt replacements, painting replacement, carpet replacement, HVAC equipment. If a piece of equipment fails, this is the... The funding mechanism that's used to replace that piece of equipment so that can only limp along a building so long you replace a piece of equipment each time as you see the values placed in the cip for the renovation projects that considers everything so we've gone in and said we believe a renovation will cost this much as those projects move forward to year one or even year six we'll use the cap to to maintain those facilities and so when we do the actual the hardcore estimate to do the for the project when it gets close to a year to be funded, things that have been done in the cap will be removed from that. So without a doubt, there are some things that are duplicated between the cap and the renovations, but they have to be so we can keep track of it. You never know when a project's going to be delayed. <coughs> okay, so back to this slide. This is our total project projected CIP costs along the bottom you'll see some some of the bars you see the years there and some of the bars are gray the gray bars are the value of the cap so they're in uh, upwards of twelve fourteen million dollars and that that you can see that gradually going up over time based on inflation the yellow bars are represent all the dollars that are placed in the CIP over time for the renovations and renewal projects now, if you take the yellow bars and the gray bars and add them together, they, they average out a trend line Thank you. of about $175 million. The blue bars above that are represent all the new schools that are going to be coming online over time. So part of that message is over time, we're, there's going to be more and more pressure for, on both bodies to increase the amount of, of, of um, funding for the CIP. And then we have a a cap now and obviously project costs don't relate to the debt cap and we understand that but just know that over time we see that there's going to be close to $200 million, $175 million every year needed to do our renovations and our cap and then the new schools on top of that. And that is the extent of my slides. I am happy to take any questions you may have.
0: Okay, if we could uh open up the floor thank you mr lewis um, incredible amount of detail and we really appreciate your ability to expand the, the time horizon to give us a view into uh years when uh, hopefully we'll we'll be well retired but certainly uh, relevant to the discussion tonight so uh with that i'd like to open the floor for questions or
4: comments uh mr saints well thank you chair uh thank you for the presentation kevin and everybody coming out today just quick few questions. I noticed you mentioned that uh, you guys are looking at doing some renovations to Heritage Return Lane Extension and getting into the the entrance of the school. Um, Supervisor Volpe and I have been working pretty good with uh, getting some improvements to Augusta and to Seneca Ridge uh, Road or Drive that's in that area. But the entrance is pretty much only one entrance into the school. And you've heard me say this before, Kevin, our last meeting recently, that that entrance is the exact same entrance as the way it was when I went to school at Seneca. Many moons ago, so uh, and that still is a traffic issue getting in and getting out. So, is there any talks of possibly from the school side of improving some of the uh, the land that's there that you guys own to, to make the entrance and uh, and exit a little bit better? That's one of my questions. I have a couple of. Um, we
9: we did look at that. Uh, we looked at it a number of different times. As you know, the the area, especially going into <clears throat> Seneca Ridge Middle School, has a very deep. Drop steep grade drop off there. As we looked at the improvements that you guys have made and are planning to make in that corridor, we believe that will be sufficient to do uh, what we need to do. We've we've changed the traffic patterns on the campus itself to um, what we call serpentine or Disney line, The the cars dropping off and picking up through the parking lot. And at this point, um, don't have any plans to, to further uh, change that that entrance.
4: Okay. Well, well, I guess we'll about to see what then improvements get implemented hopefully uh, it relieves some of the situation there uh, next thing uh, the the architectural rendering of the possible metro uh, elementary school is look very nice. Is there any thoughts of doing that for um, for uh, middle school and high school as well or
9: we started with the with the elementary school um, at this point we've had internal conversations about the um, the plan developments, it's hard for us to know um, exactly where these, these uh, metro or urban schools would be needed. We think there's more of a chance that they would be closer in with the elementary schools than they might be for the middle and high schools because it takes such a bigger footprint. And that would be a, a difficult thing for um, <coughs> those schools to be planned in those, those highly dense areas because of the footprint they take up with all the other, the other space. Certainly, we can do that, and we were trying to get as as far ahead of the game as we could with the elementary school, knowing that those are the ones that are are being targeted for these first applications that we're aware of.
4: And last question. If we could get, um, if possible, just get a little bit more detailed, and obviously you don't have to give it to us now, but in the email or something later on, a little bit more information regarding the Student Welcoming Adult Education Center. That's that's it. But thank you. Absolutely. Mr. Borna.
6: Yeah, thank you. I'm not going to get into individual schools and try to stay out of the weeds. So, you've accelerated two elementary schools from 2020 and 2021 to 2019. Do you know what the net effect of that is? What are the dollars you moved up into 2019? I know there's a very detailed spreadsheet here, but I can't read it. With it so, <laughs> my my eyesight's gone. You know, it's in my age. Yeah, like my wife said, you're losing your hearing. I said, I'm losing my hair.
9: You know? so. I think it's about $5.1 million per project. Yes, sir.
6: So you're only moving up $10 million for those two schools? So it's like, what is it, design funding or something? What are you moving up?
9: Yes, I think that – so the design will be the fir- in that first year and um, let me – Construction remember. will be the second year. Yeah.
6: Okay. And then you're moving two schools from 21 and 23 into 20. That's Dominion and the – security vegetables. do you know what that net effect is? Do we
9: have that? <coughs> I don't have that with me, but we can certainly get that. Maybe I do. Okay, as you know,
6: we're at our debt limits, so when things move up, something has to move back, so that's why I'm asking these questions. Um, did you move anything back?
9: We moved elementary school 24 um, from 2023 to 2023 i think Let me 22 to 24.
0: 22 to 24. <laughs> the security vest bills were 14.3 million dollars you were asking about that okay
6: so then, the net uh, effect is not as large as it may look by looking at slide five i mean it looks like you're moving two schools up to 19 but the reality is you're just moving 10 million of design up right. yes right. sir okay we'll have to look at those details because again we're at our cap of 225 every year so we got to figure out what gets moved, and the county administrator and his uh, staff still have to see how it all f- the pieces of the puzzle fit together. But I'm just trying to get a feel for the size of what you what you moved up here. So, all right, that's it. Thanks.
0: Additional questions? Yes, Ms. Volby uh,
7: Thank you, uh, Chairman Morris. Uh, unlike my colleague to the right, I I am going to get a little specific, if I may. Um, Quick question, something I know that we've been interested in for quite a while, uh, because we do have a safety issue at Algonquian Elementary. I would love it if somebody could at least put it on their hopefully to-do list, that ultimately, as you are heading down Algonquian Parkway and need to turn right into the school, we really need a turn lane there so that we can get traffic off that main road. I've literally, myself, literally witnessed Several uh, kind of rear end, because a child is trying to walk across in front of the school, and there is no place, no turning lane. And somebody rear ends somebody, because the person at the front, who wants to turn right to get into the school, has got to wait for the child to cross there, and I've almost seen a child hit myself. And I think it's literally, to my knowledge, it's one of the very few schools, that doesn't have that kind of turn lane or deceleration lane. Uh, And unlike some of the other schools, I don't know if some of these other schools have the same level of traffic because Algonquian Parkway handles 22,000 cars a day. So if somebody could add that to the list, hopefully someday for someone to look at that, I think it's important. We'll take a look at it. Thank you. May I ask one follow-up question? Um, It would be helpful... uh, if there's any, because you talk about industry standards of you know every 30 years to, you know renovate a, a school system, I do have one or two questions on some of these scheduling, uh, because for example at Potomac Falls High School you're saying in fiscal year 2023, to resurface the track for 75k. Considering we just put the artificial turf on the stadium and did a new track. Is that in line with the industry standards uh, do they need to really be replaced every I believe it would be five years
9: sorry mr. trainer revises that the rubberized track has a life of five to seven years so that's why it's on that that cycle and so all those track surfaces are in that cycle and you'll see all the schools show up in this in the cap over time
7: okay that's really painful but okay Thank you Ms. Um, oh, thank you very much
3: um, a few questions on the first one is on MS 14 uh, where in the spreadsheet could I find a breakout of the land acquisition costs it's in the uh, staff presentation but I couldn't find it unless it's part of land at the land acquisition fund and if so how much would that be Do you know?
9: It's it's detailed on page seventy five of this book. All right. Um, And so,
3: Beth's got it, I think.
9: Yeah. In twenty twenty one, there's seven million nine hundred ninety thousand outlined for that. Great.
3: Thank you so much. Thanks, Beth. Uh, Second question on. The urban school footprint, uh, which is about half the size, I think, of your normal school footprint, is there a reason you can't build the urban, the smaller footprint, urban style everywhere in the county?
9: As you know, recently we moved from a single-story elementary school to a two-story elementary school. And so we have had excellent experience with that two-story school. As the buildings get taller and taller, they become more of a challenge for lots of things. And you know, we had a question when we talked about in our CIP about emergency egress and those types of things. So there are certainly ways to get folks out of there, but from a from a design standpoint right now, the um, uh, the school functions very, very, very well at a two-story level. We believe we can make this work. Uh, At this point, our site constraints aren't such that we haven't been able to fit that school on. As you know, when we went from a one-story to a two-story, we've been able to make those smaller. Um, You know, the the trick to making an even smaller and smaller footprint on the site is to find other ways to accommodate the site constraints like we talked about with maybe parking and other things. So as the school gets smaller, then we have fewer parking issues as well. And this modular program was put together so that, you know, there's been lots of talk about. Right now, the, the student generation factors may be affected by how these urban areas are developed. So the, the areas that are being sold may generate fewer students. So we may find that um, a two-story building with only 350 kids or maybe four or three stories with the five, 700, I guess. So those increments haven't been really defined yet. So we're still working on all those details. And as the details of the applications come on and we learn more about how the urban areas will be developed, then we'll continue to work on the school design.
3: Okay, thanks. Um, in your uh, your high risk levels and um, your your chart showing which which are at high risk, I guess, of failing, um, and which are at medium risk. Do you correlate high risk with uh, level one? And do you correlate medium risk with any particular level, or does it vary school to school? And page 20 is um, where part of that question comes from.
9: Sorry, I had a little confusion there, but uh, Mr. Trainer reminded me that the high level and low, high, medium, and low level risk are the, the um, opportunities for that level of risk at a level one failure. So all of those are the level one, right. and whether or not they have low, medium, or high risk of the level one.
3: Okay, thank you. Um, one final question, I guess. Um, Supervisor Higgins and Supervisor Buffington are trying to figure out a way to get broadband out to the rural areas. And down at the VACO conference, uh, their concerns are shared by a lot of uh, supervisors representing rural areas. One suggestion at VACO was that community centers bring in broadband and serve as a broadband hub. Do you see any potential for schools in your rural areas serving as broadband hubs for communities, or do you think the security risk would be just too great?
9: I'm going to ask Ben Shivert to come up and, and address that question. He's our assistant superintendent for digital innovation.
5: I got it. No, no, no.
0: Good evening, everyone. And when you say security risk, ma'am, are you specifically talking physical security or cyber?
3: Physical security. Uh,
0: We have had a lot of discussions about how to extend broadband um, throughout the county, including the west. Um, I don't know if I'm necessarily concerned with physical security. That may be something in terms of how we would open up or structure An open learning environment in the evenings, but from a technology capacity, we would certainly have the capability of leveraging it internally,
5: (coughs) certainly.
3: Okay, thank you. That's all
5: I've got. Mr. Higgins. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I'll start with that issue. We actually have had uh, two meetings, I guess, with the chair and co chair of the uh, Communications Commission to talk just about that. Going back, Gus has got to be pushing two or three years ago the board decided to do an RFI for being able to leverage our um, infrastructure that we have for uh, you know communications for broadband and look about look at ways to try and um, see if we couldn't use that to expand it uh, the schools got on board with the same idea and we've been working together to try and see if we can't pull our assets and and use them to uh, find alternatives that'll give us the best deal we can. So we're we're actually working on that and um I'm very excited about the possibilities down the road with the uh the opportunities that will be there when we if if we combine everybody's uh, efforts and and all of our different assets. So um we'll we'll keep you posted, right? Uh if I may, I did have another um comment and sort of a uh uh question maybe. Uh, One of the other things we've been working on, and anybody that's um, been paying attention out in at least the Leesburg area in Western Loudoun is aware that we're working on improvements to Route 15. And uh, one of the areas that is a problem on Route 15 is Luckett Elementary School. The issue in the mornings and the evenings with kids uh, getting bused in, and then even worse uh, with all the cars that are coming in and out of there with parents that are bringing their kids to school. That's one of the problems we're trying to solve through this process. Now, that's in the second leg of the process. We're currently working on the southern end, but we're working on the northern end, and we'll be uh, seriously next year. So what I wanted to make everybody aware of, if you were not, that's part of the process we're looking at. One of the things we're considering is trying to um, take those cars off the road, and with the county properties that are owned in that area now with the firehouse and the – Um, Community Center next door, the entrance road, running that around behind the school and then taking it out onto uh, Lovettsville Road, I'm sorry, Luckett's Road, rather than onto Route 15. And that would allow a way to get all these cars off of 15 and and not only be safer, but it would be much better for congestion. Um, We've had some serious discussions with this with DCTI, and I think if they haven't reached out to you soon, have yet they will be reaching out to you soon to discuss that because I think it's a very viable uh, option to um, deal with both safety and congestion in that area on Route 15
0: thank you chair Randall
1: thank you mr. chairman a um, couple comments and questions on page six I just want to commend you because I did ask questions last year um, about uh, school buses being put in the cip budget instead of operation budget and i see that you all have done that and i think that's um, i think you actually that was a good response and so i just want to say thank you for closing that loop and bringing that back to us on um, question seven i mean i'm page seven and just in general i really appreciate that you all have a much longer much longer look um to, to 2030 um Given the fact that we are taking a much that you're taking a much longer look, would that impact the way you looked at land acquisition and I'm not so much talking about land banking, but I'm talking about um trying to look at land sites or trying to buy land sites before two years before we need them or one year before we need them because what we know happens is then you know the land becomes more expensive the 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 seller kind of realizes that they have some leverage because we need it so we we need it right now so does the longer look give you um, any any ideas or what we might want to do differently with land acquisition going forward
9: absolutely that helps us in in many ways and it helps us to to know approximate areas that we're going to need the sites you know, it's, there's never a perfect location for one, but it it serves two purposes only not only for land planning, but also for the financial planning. So the folks that are planning all the debt caps and that and that uh, financial um, debt service can see what those things are coming as well. So we are hoping it'll it'll touch on both of those things and help us do better planning all the way around.
1: Okay, um, I look forward to having those conversations in a, in a more involved and robust fashion in the future. Um, on page ten, is this um, footprint for the for this um, um, school <laughs> school about the same size as the footprint for our multi for our our bi-level schools right now for our two-level schools like ne- right now, like Madison Tress, which is an even smaller pr- footprint than those schools.
9: It's a much smaller footprint. If you look on slide eleven, you can see, and I failed to point that out. The floor plan is depicted there, the concept, and then the dotted line outside is the actual footprint of the current prototype design. So you can see that it's 46 percent shorter, smaller, Okay. and that's, that's and the even, space it takes up.
1: And is this, um, is this picture the actual conceptual drawing or just an idea?
9: Um, it is a concept, and what we did is we know that there are applications coming – that we are going to be a referral agency to the county when they get applications in and so a developer may propose a certain site and we needed to have something uh, a tool that we can answer the questions of whether or not a site is particularly viable and not only for that but even when we're searching for sites. So we wanted to make sure we had something that we we knew could be done. This would, of course, go through the design process, go through the school board as as any other design would. But this gave us a tool to use to answer those questions and try to help for the planning of those developments.
1: Okay, thank you. Um, Turning to pages, um, I guess, 18, 19, and 20. So... Something kind of interesting, I, I think, is going on. I I really appreciate that you all have done this analysis, to um, like, um, what is your risk factor, your COOP risk factor. I, I think that makes sense, and it's it's a good way to do future planning. Um, my question would be though this, if we have a school, and I will use Luckett's Elementary School as an example, that may not be in having any any. At any risk for like a catastrophic failure, but just over years, just as kind of the school is aging and things are going on, and the the, the you know the the population is outruining the kids, so it never might reach to the level that it would be a high, medium, even low level for a coop rating. But but at the same time, we know that it's kind of getting to the point where it's being held together by duct tape a little bit what do we do when 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 that happens with those schools cuz they may never always rise to the top but there's still the need there to do something something different and and at some point the adding on expansions and things like that just may not be enough anymore so you know it's 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 not the emergency it's it's the chronic problem not the emergency uh, of the school so what do you do when that happens Get more duct tape. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Bona. <laughs>
5: well, it is. We have duct tape. Well, then that's
1: exactly what I'm talking about.
9: It is a complicated metric, and it is. as you know, we have a huge inventory of 90 facilities. Uh, Mr. Trainer and his folks have a wonderful program for the general maintenance for work order type things that that take care of things that happen on a daily basis. The cap, as I explained a little bit earlier, that is the the document and the funding source that allows us to replace things that fail along the way. And so our goal is to have that cap be robust enough that we can keep things from being uh, a chronic problem if we have a certain particular system or whatnot. And, and as we've gone through that evaluation, remember that each of those schools will move up in its order. So. We will be reevaluating those every year, and and hopefully we've gotten a handle on it now. And the trick is to. Um take care of those four that are at very high risk, and then move all the medium and lows up. Yeah,
1: I, I understand that. I, I don't think that – maybe I didn't ask my question, so let me try let me try this question once again. Unless, Dr. Williams, you know what I'm trying to get at. I know that, that you're going to take care of these in the order and things are at high risk, you move them up, things are at medium risk. But something like a Luckett Elementary School may, nev- may never hit this I- any of these risk levels because it's it's not a – It's not an emergency. It's not urgent. It's chronic. But it's still a problem and has been a problem for years. So what do you do with those schools? Do you see what I'm asking? It's a little bit of a different question.
2: (laughs) Um, So are you asking about cosmetic or aesthetic? No.
1: No, of course not. Of course not. I can um, take a stab at this. I'm not asking about. I would never. No, no. I can
8: take not. a stab at this only because yes, I, I've been working. I'm sorry, Mr. Chairman. I <laughs> to get recognized um, I, because I've been working with Mr. Lewis on this. Um, going at that question of Meadowland Elementary from a perspective in my area, Algonquin Elementary, um, and in particular Meadowland because they've been coming to talk to us as a school board for um, over a year now. And because their critical systems have been replaced recently, that takes them out of that Mm -hmm. um, emergency, Mm -hmm. you know, but nonetheless they're decades old and they are looking to have some of those features that make, that are in our new schools that make those schools, you know, maybe the, um, the delivery of education is a little smoother there. Mm -hmm. And so just because they are they, – some of those CAP projects can be done inside of the CAP, but it's not going to take them off of the list. They're still on the list. So there will be a time when they're going to still come up for their full renovation in the years. So, you know, even if – and they could – some of those items will be done maybe earlier, but they're still on the list. And, see, not and I'm,
1: not, I'm actually not trying to, okay. to get into – the. And you actually – you are no, Miss Rose, You and I are on the same you 're on the train with me, and I, I was going to say i 'm not trying to get in the weeds my 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 fear is that one one year we 'll have a school or two that we 've kind of overlooked because it wasn 't a a level one or level two or crisis school, and all of a sudden we 're going to look up and say w- we need to to come up with some emergency cap funds because this school You know something. You know we we really we we've had a new development, and the school is completely over overcrowded or something. So it's just there's just these chronic issues that run under the radar, um, that I think could actually cause cause some money, and we need to come up with cap money pretty quickly. To some degree, that was true for Luckett's Elementary School this year. Um, I mean, that wasn't the the the. the, uh, Pardon me. That wasn't planned two years ago, but 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 we know that we need it, and and it was the community that kind of brought that to the forefront that it that, that it needs to happen. But it just was running under the radar enough that it wasn't you know we weren't it wasn't in our face kind of thing. Um, so, uh, Miss Rose, I think you you covered that question. Um, I think that might have been. I think that might have been on my questions. I really do appreciate that this um this this briefing was. A good a deal good more, I think, inclusive and robust than the ones we've heard before, and I appreciate the effort, and I, I can tell a lot of work went into this, and so thank you to um, my school board colleagues and to the staff.
0: Are there additional comments or questions, school board members, that desire to make any comments? That would be Ms. Volpe.
7: Thank you. Well, because of the discussion, I did want to ask a question because I know we got one email on this, and one of the ladies at our business meeting last night even said that Luckett's Elementary is the only elementary school that doesn't have an art and music room in the county. Is that correct,
0: Mr. Lewis? the
7: re- The reason the reason I asked that question. Because we do go through this on occasion, you know, especially for the areas that have older schools, for example, or more settled areas. When they see, for example, the newest high school that opens when, say, their kids go to play, you know, say, soccer or football, and they start calling it not, I'm going to say uh, well, get me the Virginia High School, they call it Virginia University, you know, because they're seeing it so much nicer. Than the high school that they go to so my question i ask is if Luckett's is not the only elementary school that does not have a designated art and music room is are you all looking at then if that's going to be the case where you want a designated art and music room in every elementary school is that somewhere here in this plan thank you
9: so currently uh Luckett's is the only one that doesn't have one right now currently, the way the the school is being used. And one of the things that we have is this um, the issue that children don't come in 23 packages of 23. So in some schools we have two second grades, two third grades, and three fourth grades because of the way they're they're coming out. So right now that school is being utilized. The school boards have many conversations to talk about that. There's a a request now to to add three classrooms on there. They also looked at Um, boundary changes to do that so yes we are definitely looking at that and have a plan in place to uh, to address it mr. Hornberger
2: I just wanted to call your attention there's a there's a tab in the CIP book called building capacity and one of the changes this year in the CIP is really trying to standardize a better standardization of our uh, program capacities at each school so you will look if you look on page um, what is that oh geez they're so small one oh seven you'll see all uh, our smallest schools do not have according to the program capacity matrix do not have designated art and and uh, music rooms they have a shared room now as uh, but but the the question is is one of capacity if, if there's not students using all of the classrooms then the schools will spread out and they'll use whatever rooms are available to do whatever um, but in terms of you know uh planning for the capacity of the school. This this chart shows how staff come up with those numbers. And so, one of the things that would also change this year is really doing a hard hard look at full day kindergarten and calculating the full day kindergarten at every school, uh, in every school in its capacity, so that we have a, a way of when we do rezoning, we have a way of knowing what the impact would be of a certain number of kids moving to the school on, say, the access of full-day kindergarten, since we're almost at 80% uh, universal full-day kindergarten. So that would help us better plan that way.
5: Mr. Gibbs. Just a, a comment about that. I mean, each school, every school, and having had a little experience on both sides of the fence, each school has so many rooms in it. And you use those rooms based on the program that it's designed for. If you have more children than that design allows, you got to use those rooms for other things. And I, you know, it I'm not trying to pick on any particular school, but I am familiar with the Luckett School. They have been over-enrolled for some time that over enrollment expanded into all those rooms including they boarded up the front door and made a room out of it uh, the hallway so and the music room is a closet that's that's absolutely true if you don't believe me go look at it Uh, and and so you know that's the problem with luck uh, there may be problems like that other where other places but that's how the program gets sucked up by the needs when you have a lot of uh, student growth
0: Additional comments,
1: well, let me, let me, Chair Randall. I'm sorry. Let me. Um, and again, from a CIP point of view, from a school construction point of view, can you explain to to me? Because I've I, I've heard many things many times from a CIP point of view. What actually happened with Luckett's? Was it in your Was it in the school's CIP at some point to build them a new school? And then it came out, and so and and then over time the school got overcrowded. Now you're doing the three-room expansion. It's, it's it. What happened there?
9: We can get you the entire history, and I'm not, I'm not going to have all the exact years right, but it was just put kids, in. Just give
1: me a high level in general.
9: Okay. So it was on the CIP a few years back because Luckett's is located in the Central Alden District, and we had a, a, a shortage of schools in the Central Alden District. And because we couldn't find a site, we looked at the potential of either adding on to that school or tearing it down and replacing it with the prototype. Um, subsequent to that search, we did determine and decide to tear down the old Douglas, uh, Douglas, what would we call it, Douglas Support Facility, which is where our office used to be, which is where Frederick mm-hmm. Douglass Elementary School is. Mm-hmm. So we actually built the, the elementary school that served that capacity need in town. And so then that after that, then we took the Luckett's replacement building off the CIP because we'd addressed that that need.
1: Okay.
2: <laughs> I think there's one, one, other, one other point is, in that pe- time period, also, there were, I think, rezoning changes happening in the Luckett's area because of the unique geographic or geological uh, features of that area that did not support rapid expansion of residential units because uh, the land just doesn't support that. So that also changed the likelihood that we would have a large no- need to serve a large number of students in that area.
0: Additional comments? Seeing none, I believe our business is complete. Chair
1: Randall, back to you. Chairman Morris, thank you so much. Um, supervisors and school board members and staff and Loudon, over the next couple of uh, weeks, Chairman Morris and I will be talking with staff about the um, uh, 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 public hearings and, and uh, uh, co-work sessions for the budget going forward. And as soon as we have those discussions, we will start um, um, asking staff to um, pull the members and, and try to get those uh, schedules to you as soon as we can. That's all I have, sir.
0: You might even be able to converse on the phone. You just never know. Well, I know. Uh, if people answer this we'll phone, be that would be safe. really,
1: it would work for me just fine. <laughs>